Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. My name is Will Holden, and today I am joined by Andy Malburn. How are you doing, bud? Yeah, I'm tired, but all right. Thanks, mate. <laughs> and I'm also joined by Mark Wall. How are you doing, buddy? I'm all the better for, for speaking to you, Will, as, as always. Thanks, buddy. It's very nice. Beautiful <laughs> intro. <laughs> yeah. uh, today we are going to talk about the film I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the album Mini Mansions by Mini Mansions, and the top five list of the top five songs used as TV themes. I think I said that good. These are my choices this week. Uh, and as always, we shall begin with the film. Give me a brief Got the IMDb one. Hells yeah, I'm going to IMDb it. Full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. Beautiful. I'm visiting Jake's parents for the first time. He hasn't been my boyfriend for very long. They really are looking forward to meeting you. I think you're ending things. Hello? We're here. Oh, hi. Oh, it's all wet. <laughs> Here they come. Oh, Jeff has told us so much about you. He's told me so much about both of you, too. And you came anyway. <laughs> and it stars Jesse Plemons, Plemons, Jesse Buckley, Tony Collette, David Thewlis, uh, amongst others, but really the main four in the, in the film. It is written and directed by Charlie Kaufman, based on the book by Ian Reid. I came across this film essentially because it popped up on Netflix and I liked the look of the trailer and that was my given connection to it. So I brought it to the table. It was a, uh, it was a good pick. The good picks this week. Gotta say, like there's, um, I've got a lot of criticisms for this film, but it is certainly uh, an interesting discussion. Point, mm. What I'm most excited to talk to you both about is whether we have differing ideas of what happened and whether or not you've done any further research i haven't and i wondered this as well but i think that although it's shrouded in a bit of mystery i think i can't see that there could be another do you want me to give a like what i think the plot is about and see go ahead like, i've got i've yes. got a definitive answer because i from what i read in my research the book provides more of a, an answer okay um so i won't tell you that i'd rather hear your theory first yeah i sort of purposely 
normally I would have gone away and done some reading about it. And actually, usually when we watch things for the podcast, I do. I kind of didn't want it to influence my thoughts, so I didn't really do much. But the synopsis says um, it's obviously about a girl going with a new-ish partner to go and meet his parents. I'm pretty sure that uh, Jake, the main male character, is... So you see a janitor, which the film constantly flicks back to. I presume that the janitor is Jake. And the scenes that you see as the janitor are probably the only ones that are kind of set in reality. And my takeaway is that essentially he's lived quite a kind of lonely life. You hear about the story of how he meets his girlfriend and you also hear her tell the janitor later on. And when she says it later on, it's that... that He was a creep. Yeah, that he's somebody who was looking at her in a pub but never actually approached her and was just creeping on her. Whereas when you hear the story to the parents, you hear that she went over and approached him because it was clear that he wasn't going to come and say anything. In a fairly kind of male idealism of, yeah, like, she comes to me. <laughs> it has that sort of vibe. Yeah, so I presume that uh, that the, the world where he has this girlfriend that he brings back to meet his parents is a fantasy um and that he kind of regrets not going to speak to her and i guess the fact that it's her is irrelevant it's this kind of regrets about his life and it explains why the time period changes a lot when he's talking to his parents explains why she doesn't really have a name like he uses a few different names for and she questions it when she's thinking things in her head particularly in the car it's almost like he seems to understand that sort of responds as if he's heard that yeah like not always directly but there's kind of there's definitely some kind of understanding going on so yeah that's what i presume that is the the janitor jake is kind of fantasy life i guess did you have any different take marco i mean that's a a pretty fair reading of it however (laughs) i did not enjoy the movie i will say that now that reading makes sense and to me it's part of the problem because he's effectively then the protagonist in the film using that that idea of of what the plot is Mm -hmm. and yet she is presented as the protagonist for huge swathes of it Mm -hmm. the majority basically i'd say apart from the last last scene really she is yeah and i think the uh the first 15 minutes was was kind of fine in a sort of Richard Linklater meets David Lynch kind of way. And then it went into the the farmhouse scenes with the parents, which I thought that segment of the film initially was great. Proper, captivating, really like sketchy, quite tense. Um, Yeah. That whole stretch. And to be fair, it probably is a good 45 minutes of the film, I think. As soon as it goes into the the time jumps where she will walk into another room and the parents are suddenly different ages and all of that, which you've just explained why that would make sense, and I agree. But obviously, as you're watching it, I found it immeasurably frustrating because she doesn't react to it at all. And therefore, as the audience, you're less left wondering, well, she doesn't, she, she has no reaction to this change at all. So everything you're getting invested in is kind of meaningless because... There is no response to it from the characters on screen. It's just random for random sake. I don't think there's no reaction. There's not a lot of reaction. There's no fear. 
like she notices that things are amiss, but she's not scared of it. Like I think maybe I'd say that, she should be. I'd say that she's it's almost presented like the like previous meetings are almost like dreams. Like she sort of seems to have some idea that this isn't right and something odd has happened, but not be able to put a finger on what it is, if that makes sense. Like I don't think it's ignored. It takes her a long time to do things like question her change in name. She goes through probably about four different names before she has an inner monologue thinking like, is, is that my name? <laughs> that doesn't Ames. sound quite is right. Is that short for Amy? Yeah. And I guess it's the come away from L. Like she's Lucy and then Louise or yeah. there's a couple of yes. like L names and then, and then it peels away. I almost regret sort of saying really, but Andy's spot on. Like that is the premise of the film. So the reason for a lack of reaction is that Jake is playing all of those characters. They're all his imagination. It comes out occasionally when they sort of swap hobbies. They're both physicists and they're both poets. And she becomes a poet almost immediately after saying that she has no interest in poetry. And I think the idea is then that she is an idealized version of a woman he looked at once and and built this, this huge fancy around. Well, I think it's also everything that he could have been had he have met her mm-hmm. like culminating in the final scene where he wins i don't think they actually specify but looks like a nobel prize for something although yeah. he gets it in his school but yeah um, in a school play but yeah i think it's more the uh, it's more than just um his girlfriend could have been it's what he could have been had he have met this perfect woman I don't know how much of that is based in truth, but it's the same with the art as well. Like he warns her not to go down into the basement. And when she goes down into the basement, it's all the pictures that she had previously said that she drew and they're signed by him. And she flicks back onto her phone and she's no longer the The artist. Yeah. It's like absorbed it from her. He has reactions as well. Like at the dinner table, Anytime his parents are saying certain things and he's not happy with what they're saying, it's mm. almost as if, it's, as you say, if it's all in his mind anyway, it's almost as if like he's willing it not to go that way. And then when they say what he wants to do, he gets like happier. Yeah. Perhaps considering that stuff, it would be more interesting in a rewatch. But I think it's the thing that you've mentioned a couple of times, Will, in various guises, which is it's it's not the film that I wanted it to be. Sure. Yeah, I don't think it invalidates it. The fact that on a first viewing, it doesn't spell those things out. And like I had some misgivings. Actually, Catherine was the one to to nail it after watching just half of the film. She watched the back half and just went like, oh, it's, it's the janitor. Mm-hmm. But I, think, <laughs> I had some. I think I was just going to say, I think that interaction that she has with the janitor where she explains, where she says like, why would I remember that? Like it's just a random meeting in a bar. And kind of explains what that meeting was. I think at that point it basically like pretty much gives away the premise. Yeah. I think in retrospect, I think it does. At the time when I was watching it though, it didn't it didn't immediately like light bulb moment. Right. I think her reaction to him then is at least I think is sort of Jake's thought of what the real reaction would have been had he have spoken to her, that like women are disgusted by him because that's kind of his view, his own self-esteem that this fantasy is is trying to overturn i guess what were your expectations going into it then mark what did you kind of think that it was just what it leans into in the first 45 minutes really kind of a sort of get out style meet the parents horror i suppose 
I'd seen the trailer as well and I liked the look of it. The trailer definitely leans into horror. You're not wrong there. And it's almost all set in that in the house scene. Mm. I think the farmhouse is the... Because I remember thinking at that point, like, I really like this so far. Like, I thought I was going to come in and say, this is an 8 out of 10 film. And it really, really... The second half of it really disappointed me. But I had a completely different expectation going into it because I hadn't seen the trailer or anything about it at all or had even heard of it. But I think Charlie Kaufman's one of the best writers in Hollywood. I absolutely love the first three films that he wrote, which he didn't direct. And then I watched his fourth film, which he did direct. Synecdoche? Synecdoche, Synecdoche. New York. Thank you. Synecdoche, New York, and hated it. And so I I was expecting it to be a bit avant-garde. And I was worried that I was going to hate it. And I really wanted to I really wanted to like it. I honestly think his writing is brilliant. Like I think it's so inventive. I agree it's inventive. It's not for me. I didn't like Synecdoche in New York either, even though I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's one of the few movies of his that I just wasn't into wasn't big on being John Malkovich or Eternal Sunshine. It's been a, a long time, but his stuff just doesn't seem to resonate with me, which is odd because I do like weird, quirky stuff. And mm. his just doesn't land for me. The title feels like a dare of this film. I'm thinking of ending things. And I was thinking of ending things about an hour into it. And about 10 minutes after that, I did. I just stopped the film. I was like, I actually might not watch the rest of this. I <laughs> I turned on it that strongly. I just I actually hate this. I guess I'm um, I'm not I'm not surprised like that you didn't like it. I'm surprised it solicited like that stronger reaction. I was fuming, like honestly, because I was kind of enjoying it. And then as soon as it did the time jump stuff, and there's just no to me, it just feels disingenuous. Fine, it's all in his head. Well, why is it playing out as a weird horror movie? I think the title thing's quite interesting as well, because I think, like, I first... The first time she says that, I kind of presumed that she was thinking about suicide. And then a few minutes later, I thought, oh, it's about ending the relationship. Sure. And then once you kind of realise, or I thought anyway, that the film was, like, Jake was the protagonist, I thought it was potentially about him committing suicide. But I don't actually know whether he did or not by the end. Like, he sort of freezes to death in his car, but I don't know whether that's intentional or not. I don't know if the film is supposed to be part fantasy, but also part, like, fever dream, if that mm. makes sense. Because he's in a snowstorm and he's freezing to death in his car. His life is flashing before his eyes, but because he hasn't had a life, particularly, yeah, he's, he's inventing it. He's kind but of made also it that, it's, that it's full of, like, weird hallucinations and time-breaking things because <laughs> the circumstances of his death. But I don't know if that's mm. on purpose or not. I don't know if either it's on purpose if that's the way the film's written, but also it's on purpose him choosing to die or whether he is just dying. Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't have quite as strong a negative reaction to the second half as saying it really disappointed you. I do feel like the film peaks in the farmhouse and maybe increasingly more. Like as a film approaches two hours, I start to think, is it is it too long? I always think there could be chunks like whipped out. I think I could name scenes that they should cut out just in their entirety. What have you got? All the stuff in the car 
There's a I lot in, in the car the, in there. But there's just things that seem completely unnecessary. Like the, there isn't any need to go through uh, a woman under the influence, a critical assessment of that or the entire backstory to baby it's cold outside. Mm-hmm. Like they, they just feel self-indulgent. Like you could just cut that out. Mm-hmm in its entirety it's, and it wouldn't make any difference and it's 10 minutes of the film gone immediately yeah <laughs> like I, think that, I think that'd be fair it's just pretentious yeah it's uh it's a word i don't like to throw out there that often but all that stuff is monumentally pretentious i think as um, well the the thing i was saying about i prefer him as a writer it's not that i think he's a bad director either like a lot of the stuff in the farmhouse i thought really looked like you say it's sort of set up as like a horror thriller or sort of psychological horror, I guess. I think a lot of it's well-directed, but I get the feeling that the people that he's worked with before, like Michelle Gondry, have probably edited his stuff down, Mm -hmm. all of his madcap ideas, but having somebody else who's directing the film who'll be like, well, we're getting rid of this, we're not doing this, we're we're streamlining this bit. Yeah, Yeah. sort of funnels all these ideas into, for me, something that works better. Uh, just to pick up on it though, because as I said, I I did turn the film off. I was strongly considering not going back to it. I did, of course, and the bit that I turned off was the second car scene when they're driving away from his parents to get the um, ice cream. And yeah, I was just done at that point. Came back to it. There's some more kind of slightly more interesting stuff with the ice cream parlor, and it's just a bit more watchable. Again, all the stuff in the car is is pretty brutal in my opinion when it gets to the school picks up again and I did quite enjoy the last 10-15 minutes actually I kind of liked the dance scene and the the musical number um interesting because I think the last 10 minutes are the big thing that kind of ruined the film for me couldn't go any more downhill for me so it was (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say I quite like that kind of break in style I think it might have worked better if it had been introduced sporadically throughout the film rather than just as a kind of final bookend but I guess it mirrors his descent into death his fantasy becomes more and more unrealistic and more and more based on childhood things like the ice cream song and the the pig full of maggots (laughs) I don't mind that it has a ballet dance number and I don't mind that it finishes on a big song like I don't mind those that's not my criticism it's just that I think the film builds a like uncomfortable tension throughout it. it. Obviously, it didn't for Mark, but it did for me. Like that's the kind of thriller aspect. The whole thing leading. There's a few bits that are disappointing, like the kind of bit going down into the cellar. I was expecting something more. Incidentally, I think yeah. she's, she's picking through his washing at one point, and I'm pretty sure it's the janitor's uniform. Uniform, everyone. Yeah, which another clue, but. Yeah, I feel like the end of it just ruins all of that tension. You've built the film up to go into a different direction. Like I guess it I feels like it should that. have more of a thriller horror ending, and instead you've ended it on the biggest... You've aimed for sentimentality without building that up for me. Because there isn't really characters, so I don't feel that emotionally invested because the characters constantly change throughout. Like, that's kind of part of it. Mm. Like you're saying about Jake's reaction to his parents... Like at certain points, he's, depending on the timeline, there's certain points where he's incredibly caring for them. And then there's certain points where he's he's angry at them for no apparent reason a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like things seem to annoy him, but they're, they're being quite nice to her. 
most of the time yeah. to his girlfriend. Didn't have a reason for that. So yeah, I just feel like it just ruins the tension that's been built up and then ends the story on an ending that the film hasn't hinted at throughout the rest of it. Yeah, I can see that. It doesn't, it doesn't go out with a bang, as you say, as it kind of builds towards. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Did you have any thoughts on the like the individual performances? I thought Jesse Buckley was excellent, really mm-hmm. good. I agree. Um, David Hewless is always always good, isn't he? I think Hewless and, and Tony Collette were were good. There was a couple of scenes, particularly when they sat around the dinner table, where the camera just stopped on them, and they both just had this a face that wouldn't stay on one expression. And both of them had this like real knack of, of doing it. It's really creepy to watch yeah. them just sort of smile, frown, and then grin and laugh too much. And the dog that never stopped shaking. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought all the acting was really good. I have no issues with that. And this, yeah. is, this is the thing. I think it's they're all doing great work, but it's irrelevant to me because I just I didn't care. And even like now you're explaining it in more detail and tying it together. Cool. But it's it doesn't matter to me because it didn't change my experience of watching it retrospectively. Yeah, okay, yeah, I get that. That's that's cleverly knotted together in some ways. I still don't think a lot of it makes much sense tonally, and I'm sure there's there's reasons for it the, the way you did it. But it it was not something that I wanted to read up on afterwards because it annoyed me to the point where it's like, okay, if I'm not smart enough to get this, then I think Kaufman would like that anyway. I think he'd get satisfaction out of the fact, oh, I love the fact that people don't get get my movie and have like, it's annoyed them. I, he probably gets off on that. <laughs> Just the guy doesn't do it for me at all. I mean, there's there's some great individual stuff in there, but yeah, very much disagree on that. But I kind of get it. I do agree that he doesn't. I think he very much makes films for himself and probably doesn't take into a huge amount of consideration what his audience thinks. That's probably true. In fact, that's almost certainly true. <laughs> I think it's probably why he wants to direct as well. Like, I get the feeling that he's probably a bit of a control freak on stuff. But I think all of his stories have, a lot of his films, especially Adaptation, which is my favourite film that he's written, it's obviously incredibly personal. I mean, he puts himself into it as a character, but that's... It's not even that, like the film is about him struggling to adapt a book and not feeling like he's good enough. Like, I think all of his films are very personal. I kind of get the feeling that this is a a reflection maybe on a certain aspect of his character as well. So I think it's written as much for him as maybe for anyone else anyway, whether you take that as a negative or a positive. But I don't think, I think that, it doesn't invalidate, as you say, your first watch was clearly not an enjoyable experience. And I think, like I say, I, I didn't, Catherine was the one who really got it. I, I was still had misgivings about what it was about until I, until I looked it up. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you like I understood this straight off the bat. No. So when the credits first rolled, I certainly had some similar thoughts to you about at what point does leaving a, a story up to an audience and leaving a bit of mystery just become you've been unable to answer the questions you've posed it's easy mm-hmm. to make a film of just questions <laughs> but then to be honest having read it and i must admit it did retrospectively 
and not no that's not necessarily true either because i did enjoy the actual experience of watching it as well like i did i was quite yeah. happy to go along with the mystery being completely baffled by it and not really understanding why things were happening on the assumption that i would get an answer and if i hadn't done the research yeah maybe i would have been a bit disappointed with the answer that i felt i got but i've done it now and I, so i've colored my judgment one way or the other <laughs> interesting yeah i can't i can't see the film from that perspective that's like because i felt like i understood what was happening by the end and it took i would say it was that scene talking to the janitor Mm -hmm. and then thinking about some other things that were shown that linked it together for me so that's two-thirds of the way through the film so for two-thirds of the film i was completely in the dark but But i was kind of enjoying the journey for the most part anyway like i agree with you about the car scenes and and I so, think I th- up until the end of the farmhouse, I was really, really enjoying it. Like, I thought it was excellent. I thought the whole ha- farmhouse scene was, yeah, obviously there was quite a lot of mystery and sort of confusion there. But like I say, like, I felt like it just built tension all the way through that. Mm-hmm. Like, I sort of watched it quite gripped. So um, did I, which is, which is why it was all the more infuriating to me, where it just pulls the rug from under you. But yeah, the the mystery bit wasn't the issue. The issue for me was the the sort of tonal decision of where they were taking the film. I think in general, I don't need to understand what a film is about or what its message is. I've watched Mahalan Drive several times. I'm not going to pretend to understand it. It doesn't really bother me. I, you know, I still just love watching it and I love thinking about it. This yeah. was not something where I was engaged into thinking about it i was immediately the opposite i was just like thrown away from it completely it's just like okay well these characters don't seem to care about these changes that are happening on screen therefore why should i and even after the explanation which does does make sense okay so you're doing a a two-hour film about a miserable janitor and his lack of a life. I mean, well, I think I think that's unfair. Like, I think I've fallen on the side of defending it, and overall, I don't. It really left me flat by the end. But I think it's about aging and regret and loneliness. I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to write a film around those subjects. Yeah, like, no, I I I agree. But I think some of them it like, hit for me as just, well. The the aging one particularly, like they reference that very openly. Mm. The the woman talks about this sort of aging process with her mum before she starts aging, <laughs> because that's at the time the thing that she is researching. Like Will said earlier, like what she's what she actually does changes all the time. But yeah, but she's an artist, a poet, a physicist, a student. She's yeah. a waitress. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, she references that she's studying aging and how sad that is. And like, I think that's quite a sort of important theme through it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree, I think. Um, I probably had the most positive experience of it. I agree with a lot of your criticisms, to be honest. I do think the car scenes become lengthy. I think it could be simply edited down. I guess I agree with your point of view that it, it doesn't build to the ending. But I just really enjoyed the ballet cartoon and sort of school play bits as a spectacle, I suppose. Like taking it away from purely the how it runs with the rest of the film. 
I quite enjoyed the like aged audience badly made up. They it's clearly all the characters, painted. yeah, the same age that they are, but he's just like in his head, he's just superimposed what an aged version of them would look like. So they've just got like fake wrinkles drawn on. And, and I think that like, might be a reference to his depleting mind because he's closer to death. His version of his memories become more and more like cartoonish. Yeah. We talked about this briefly the other day, but the reason I really wanted to like it is that I think, like you were saying, Mark, about watching David Lynch film and enjoying the journey, even if you don't necessarily enjoy the, don't understand the whole plot or motivation behind it or whatever. Mm. I think like there isn't enough people making films like that. I'd rather see, because mm-hmm. I know you said that you didn't, you didn't want to read about it and, like I sort of found the opposite thing. Like I say, I stopped myself really from reading much about it because I wanted to talk about it first. It sort of stayed with me quite a lot, despite the fact that I didn't love it. Like I found it quite like thought provoking. I sort of always do with Charlie Kaufman. Even if I hate it, I find it quite like it, it stays with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd rather watch something like that any day of the week than watch a like a Hollywood blockbuster that's sort of mindless. There's nothing wrong with something being mindless and fun, but I just think there's a billion films like that, and I'd rather watch something that challenged me a bit. I am a hundred percent with you on that, a hundred percent. And I, I don't, I can't really put my finger on why Kaufman stuff, and in particular this one, just wound me up so much. And it didn't work. It didn't get me thinking. It just made me annoyed. It's, uh, I guess, certain directors, certain writers are just wired into certain people who will find it more relatable and for whatever reason i just i just don't Um, it's absolutely valid to say like something just doesn't resonate with you like sometimes it is hard to put your finger on what that thing is but like something that he does just doesn't resonate with you i do think that the whole you know the fact that the protagonist of this film jesse buckley or whatever which is effectively not a character She's yeah. completely meaningless. Like, it just doesn't matter. She has no, you know, no journey of her own because she's just a figment of his imagination. She is basically him in a different form. And that's a problem for me because you've presented it completely different. And I'm all in for a good twist or whatever. But it doesn't really present it as a twist. And I just find that problematic hugely. And I don't think he's that interesting a character, ultimately. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff it touches on, of course, but there's also a load of just pretentious waffle and wank. I know it's worked with Michelle Gondry and it's Spike Johns who directed, I can't remember which one. Malkovich, I think. Malkovich. Yeah. I do think if he'd worked with one of those on this film, then there would have been a more concise version of it. Mm. But unless they change the end, I'm still going to be disappointed because I still don't think it, I just don't think it sets up that ending tonally. I kind of get your point, but I don't. For me, there was enough clues in the mystery that I didn't feel disappointed by the mystery aspect of it. I don't think it's disappointing her as a character or non-character. I think like she's a kind of a reflection of his ideals and his sort of dreams for himself. Like yeah. I think that's quite an interesting perspective to write a film around. Yeah, I mean, like in the end, none of them are characters, are they? Like they're all. Even Jake, the young Jake, is still a a version that never really existed. Nobody has a character, really. His parents' characters are completely different, depending what age they are. Mm. They're just, uh, they go through about five different characters. Yeah. Are we ready for scores? Yeah. 
Go on, Mark. Kick us off with a low one. <laughs> mm. From the gut. It's a one out of ten for me. Wow. It's the, first. It's the second I've given. Oh, okay, yeah. Think death tones as well. And <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I could easily, I could easily give it a two or a three uh, because the acting was impressive and there were stretches of the film that I thought were very effective. But I turned it off in frustration and annoyance. I mean, I can't give it pity points for for the for, for the reaction it gave me. I just fair. I think, um, as I said before, I, I feel he'd be happy with with me having such a response to it. I think he's intentionally provocative and uh he'd probably be delighted at eliciting such a such a reaction. So well you know, obviously wouldn't give a shit what like I thought, but you know you know what I mean. <laughs> like Yeah, I know in, what you uh, mean, yeah. Yeah. I've actually read I've read interviews with Charlie Kaufman before and um I actually think that's inaccurate. Like I say, I think his film's quite personal. I think he takes it very personally. <laughs> When they're often, I think every film he's ever made has had a, a score of of one star reviews, and yeah, I think, I think he gets quite upset about it. I mean, but, he's uh, he's pretty mad, yeah, right, isn't he? He's not he's not making films to appeal to the masses. Yeah, I th- I think that's incredibly harsh. Like one out of ten <laughs> is that there's no substance of merit in it, and I don't know how you can. I can definitely see how you could watch that and hate it, but I can't see how you could say there's nothing of merit in it. Like I say, I'm I not thought... a critic at the end of the day, am I? Yeah. I'm not a professional critic searching for like. Well, you are a critic. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, at the end of the no day, I'm just a guy, yet, that, but... guy that watches films with the aim of uh, enjoying them. Ah, he's actually going it. wrong. I watch films with the aim of hating them. <laughs> and I'm always pleasantly surprised. It's it's not it's not even something like the uh, that I enjoy hating on. You know, it's like oh yeah, it'd be great to like slag this off. It's just not for me. It's just really not, and so yeah, it is a harsh score, but it's 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 all it's all I can give. I mean, I hated oh, it. I said from the gut, and that's what you gave. Yeah. yeah. Where are you landing, Andy? I think the some of the farmhouse scenes I think were eight, nine out of ten. I think some of the car scenes were okay. A lot of them were really self-indulgent and redundant. I really didn't like the last fifteen minutes of the film. I say not as them individually but the way the narrative kind of wrapped up mm-hmm. i struggled on a number but i'm gonna play a little generous but i'm gonna go six out of ten it's definitely i do think it's genuinely worth watching i think there are bits of it that are really very good i say most of the farmhouse stuff i thought was excellent but yeah i just felt felt a bit flat for me by the end it was a bit of a letdown so yeah six feels a little kind but there was there was enough good stuff in it, and I say I, th- I found it a bit thought provoking. Stayed with me. I thought about it a lot over the next couple of days. So yeah, six out of ten. Okay, I think I broadly had the most positive response, but I do very much take on board the criticisms. And I think, as you say, the car scenes, and I understand the kind of wet fart of the ending, <laughs> how it plays out from how it's built. But it didn't. It didn't bum me out quite as as much and thus i'll give it a seven out of ten man i want people to like charlie kaufman i had just generally a fairly fun like viewing experience which obviously i appreciate marky didn't have but it was enough that some of the criticisms i can kind of ignore a little bit because i did enjoy for the most part the actual just process of watching it yeah 
Cool. As I say, I've I've got nothing against other people liking it. I don't very know kind, what it is about. Very Calvary. kind of you. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, man. All right. Well, let's move on to the album. <laughs> <laughs> so the album is the self-titled Mini Mansions by Mini Mansions. Probably redundant to say it twice after mentioning it's self-titled. <laughs> <laughs> Way back in the day when we were making a big old playlist, I put one of their songs on there and kept coming back to this song. And for whatever reason, never really gave their albums much time. So I thought this might be a nice time to do so. Don't want to get us rolling? I go on, Will. You start. Okay. In the end, I think I like this album more than I was expecting to. It's certainly not like an absolute crowning glory. And I think there are peaks and troughs, I suppose, with any album. But I like it's Beatles-esque isn't, isn't fair. More like Ocean Colour Scene style of kind of that 60s psychedelic rock, but having been brought through to the 2000s and repurposed. I like got a bit of a bit of a Beatles vibe at times. Yeah. Not like Sar- Sgt. Pepper, like Dark Carnival sort of thing. Dark Carnival is definitely the, the vibe. Yeah, like it's got that sort of creepy, occasionally like vaudeville sort of sound in general i like the sound and it in some cases covered some sins uh musically but i like their sound and i think particularly the first half of the album is where their best songs are um yeah so i thought it was all right (laughs) cool that it (laughs) right okay no i'm I'm only joking i actually quite liked it I've got a weird relationship with this record where every every time I put it on, I, I kind of enjoy it without being hugely engaged by it. It's difficult, I think, to... I, I find that I can't ever remember particular songs when I'm trying to think of them. Like when we were talking about favourite tracks and stuff, I can't... I'm saying, mm-hmm. okay, which one is that again? And I have to go and listen to it. I'm like, oh, yes, that one, that's, that's pretty good. But they don't necessarily stick in my head, but then it has the adverse thing where tiny little snippets of melodies will occasionally enter my head. And be like, oh, which songs that from? And so I've got a weird relationship with it. And I don't think it's uh it's not gonna be a favorite of mine, but I, I think uh I probably will go back to a few songs occasionally. I wasn't massively impressed by the way they've um tracked it. I read a review which sort of praised the it starting with vignette number one. Completely disagree. It's a complete non-entity of a starter for me. Track two is great. Mm-hmm. I don't know which song it was that was on your playlist, but Monk. It was Monk. Monk. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, Monk was pretty good. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I even necessarily think that the second half is particularly weaker. I think some of the tracks in the second half I actually enjoy quite a bit. 
I think maybe just the last three tracks, I don't think they're particularly bad, but they just feel like they've lumped three songs onto the end of the album. Yeah, to, fair enough. To, to sort, sort of make up the time a little bit. <laughs> I, I disagree because I actually like, well, I like Magic Marker, the one before. Yeah. I like, girl, I like Girls as well quite a lot, third from last. Like I say, none of them are particularly bad. I just, I feel like I've lost interest in the album by that point. And maybe that's more like you were saying, Mark, about the kind of the ordering of the tracks as opposed to the tracks themselves. Yeah, um, I'll let Andy go. I probably came to similar conclusions for different reasons to you, Mark. I listened to it a couple of times and I was struggling to put my finger on why I didn't like it. And then I sort of thought of a reason and then it grew on me. So I think, <laughs> so I think I do kind of like same as Mark. Like I, it's not going to become a favorite album, but I do like a few tracks off it. I sort of like all of it, really. Like there's no bad tracks for me, and there's a couple of tracks I do quite like. I'm not a music production guy, so everything that I say is going to be like just random stabs in the dark but i think i don't like the production of it i think it puts me off it i think it's i think it's really you know we've spoken before and said like i remember saying it about like the punch brothers album Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. everything was really nice in the mix and you could pick out every little tiny little lead melody and i think like everything's only muddy like it's really hard to pick things out and particularly when there was sort of a bass drony thing, which tend to happen over the, the heavier instrumental sections. Mm. I think like a piano pedal kind of note or like a low string note, that was way too high in the mix. That was what I was taking away, even though there was some interesting stuff that was kind of hidden behind it. Mm. It's kind of got the drone at the top and the vocals were... Like, there's quite a lot of, like, nice harmony. I think that's where the kind of Beatles comparison comes from. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that sat back in the mix as well. I couldn't pick it out. But, yeah, the just general sound is muddy. And I think that's why it it took a while for me to kind of get to grips with it because I couldn't pick enough out of it. Just Mm, kind of overall muddy sound. I find that interesting because I don't... I mean, if you're holding it up to the Punch Brothers, like, I don't think it's... uh... I don't think it holds a candle up to like how good just that album sounds. John Bryan in it, absolute yeah. man. But I, uh, I don't think I had a problem picking stuff out. When it gets into the heavier bits, I quite like that kind of wall of sound. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the the heavy, the sound of the heavy bits. I thought they did those quite well. I don't, I don't mind a wall of sound. It's not that particularly. It's just that I think there were there's more interesting. It's hard to do a wall of sound that's just on one note. And I think the interesting bits were just kind of hidden in the mix. I think part of the reason I, it started growing on me is because I listened to it on better headphones. Because mm-hmm. I usually use my, I, I usually either listen on Bluetooth speakers or I've got like a pair of, they're basically my running headphones, yeah. which are fine, but they're built for running. Uh, and I listen to it on the headphones that I'm using now and it, it sounded better. Yeah. I, I do think the entire album's too bassy. Also, this is a unusual criticism because I usually don't <laughs> I feel bad digging a particular person out. But I think the drumming is kind of poor throughout. Hmm. I guess drums are one of those things that if they're not like brilliant, I just tend not to notice. I just think that they're I think they often 
feel like they're kind of slowing the momentum. Right. You think he's like actually songs... losing time. I mean, this was no, their first, not... first album, so... Uh... Not necessarily like losing time or that there's anything like intrinsically bad. I just think there's no sort of bounce and sort of momentum building. Mm. I think they're often like quite simplistic drums that aren't sort of driving it forward in any way. I think it's partially the production again. It's got, to me, it sounds like music that is very much looking to the past. Will said it at the start, really, like with a 2000 edge or or whatever. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that that comes from the production. All the all the keyboards and stuff sound very much like digital keyboards to me, which is fine. But it, it's it's it sort of reminded me of a slightly worse Super Furry Animals at points. I think the uh, See that. the second song again, which I think was one of my favourites, "The Room Outside." Mm-hmm. The chorus of that, which is great, as you mentioned, the harmony that's got a really nice harmony in it. It's quite a nice chorus hook goes into a great outro as well mm. that reminded me of super fairy animals in particular but i think in general yeah it, it's just kind of modern and sheeny sounding which is at odds with the whole muddy thing that you were saying but i wasn't big on the production as well i think there's just something about it which i don't know it just doesn't sound very natural to me Hmm. I don't have enough. That's the thing. I don't have enough knowledge about music production to be able to critique that well. Just to say it's muddy isn't a criticism. I can't. I can't tell you what it is that I don't like about it because I don't. I don't really know enough about it. But I just. I just didn't feel like individual sounds had enough space in the mix. Hmm. Essentially, I found it hard to pick out individual things. It just sounded a bit swampy. Oh, like I said, I didn't. I don't think the production is anything particularly to sort of write home about, but I didn't have as, it didn't put me off in the same way. I mean, you've obviously highlighted things in the production from sort of different angles that you both weren't keen on. I guess it just didn't, it didn't quite bother me. I think where my, I think you're right to say like the the album is quite homogenous and because they've gone for a particular sound, a lot of the songs do sound the same. And I think when you listen to the album in full, I have had a similar reaction to you, Mark, where I've had a snippet of melody and then been surprised that it's in the song that I'm listening mm-hmm. to. I'm like not not anticipating it, it coming around and then it does. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's that's got to be come down as a bit of a criticism, I think, to the album is, is the songs, not to kind of give away our favourite song later, but I agree with you, The Room Outside, I think, is the is the key song on there. But otherwise, they've got kind of mm. similarities to them that, mean they do meld in a little bit but throughout that and and with that sound I think there's some really nice like chord changes and the obviously you pointed out like the harmonies that I think are really really nice despite the fact that I agree with the chords are the chords are interesting yeah I think there's some nice changes I mean they are harking back to that like 60s psychedelia rock isn't it that's the seems to be the basis for the direction of the songs and despite the fact that I think I agree with you that vignette number one it's just sort of a nothing, and I tend to skip it on listen, on like re-listen. I do quite like the vignette also, number. I just start the album from track two. Yeah, yeah, but also I do quite like the fact that like vignette number two has that callback and then becomes a full song. I think you could just do that without vignette number one in in truth. But <laughs> it's, it's it's funny because the vignette number one always gets stuck in my head, 
<laughs> even though I really don't like it at all, but it still nestles in there. I don't mind albums doing that sort of thing, but I think that's a like that's a sort of thing where you squirrel it in at like track six, track nine, and then end the album with a quiet version of it. Like yeah. it, it's a it is a weird choice to open an album with it. I kind of see what they were going for, but as you say, I think there may be better ways of factoring that in. But I do quite enjoy that. I like the idea that the album is an album because it calls back on itself. I think a lot of music these days is these the couple days. Of these days, the kids these days. You get the first couple of singles off them, and then there are like just 10 sort of unrelated songs to fill in the rest of the time. And I seem to remember buying an album based on a song that I've heard and liked. And the rest of the album is just trash. Like, it's just, <laughs> just pointless. So I like the fact they've made an effort to construct this as an album. And I think there can be criticisms on how they've kind of achieved that. But kudos for, uh, for having a go. I started with the criticisms as well. And like I say, it really grew on me. And the reason I really started thinking about why I didn't like it is because I was surprised that I didn't like it because it's got loads of elements that I really like. And mm. I guess those kind of elements grew on me. The Beatles comparison, I think, is accurate, particularly the kind of vocal harmonies. Um, I can kind of see the Super Fairies thing. I got a bit of an Elliot Smith occasional vibe with the kind of quite breathy vocals and his kind of choice of melody lines sometimes as well. You know, kind of more upbeat Elliot Smith, like figure eight. Mm-hmm. And again, the kind of close harmony as well is quite a Elliot Smith-esque thing. So yeah, there were loads of things that I liked about it. Disagree on the order as well. Sorry, not on the order, on the like liking the first half. I don't have a huge amount of standout tracks. I do really like track number nine, Magic Marker. But I don't yeah, there was I mean, there's very little I there were very little I sort of really disliked about tracks after it grew on me. So I can't say I preferred the first half to the second very much of a muchness for me. As I say, it might be more of a case of just kind of running out of steam with it by that point in the album. Because I, I I like Magic Marker as well. It's got uh, it's got a funny line about a hip, hippopotamus that I enjoy every time it comes around. I, well, I listened to this album. I was in work on my own, so I listened to it on the... Uh, got some quite decent speakers at work so i just like absolutely cranked it up and it's probably the only time i've listened to it in full actually like i think a lot of the time i just restarted it from where i was up to on spotify yeah so i probably listened to the first three tracks and then the next five tracks and i can get the idea that it would get a bit samey by the second half but because i didn't listen to it very often in full that never happened yeah, I was doing it on my walk to and from work, and it's almost perfectly timed for that. Uh, so yeah, I listen to it in in length every time. I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, the vocals because that was one of the slight issues I had. It sounds like there's maybe a couple of them singing because there's obviously harmonies, but it's funny what? that you mentioned like Elliot Smith and the Beatles. I was I was kind of hearing a bit of a. Uh, Paul Draper from Manson and uh, Mike Patton. Okay. Yeah. In his affectations, mm. he does this thing where on a lot of the vowels, he'll sort of really pronounce them. There's, I don't know how to explain it. He just curves his voice or something to uh, 
the mic pattern connection makes sense when you explain it like that. Like that's absolutely what mic pattern does as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although my, but, mic patterns are pretty hard comparison because it's got about six different voices. <laughs> well, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and an insane range as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I kind of like it when pattern does it and it just bothered me in a few places. It was just, having said, and I repeatedly say in these reviews that I like vocal vocalists with character. It was kind of a character that he was imbuing that I didn't like. Sure. <laughs> I would have rather he just stuck to um, a sort of cleaner tone. I think there's another song which no one's mentioned yet, which is an odd name, Kitty Hypnogogia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Starts with a really nice set of piano chords and he just sort of sings it a bit more purely. There's no real affectation there. And really like that. But yeah, I don't know. I did, it obviously, it sounds like it didn't particularly bother either of you two, but I just I didn't really enjoy his overpronounced vocals or, at times. I kind of took the criticisms that I had of his vocals to be the, like I say, I thought they were sat back a bit in the mix. I don't mind the tone of his voice. I get where you're coming from, that it sounds like he's trying to copy a sound that it's not necessarily his own, that that's a sort of conscious decision that I'm going to sing in this way. Although that is biased by the fact that I actually went and listened to some other. Um, I was going to ask you whether you went on, because I listened to the next album five I didn't, years I just later. Put, I just picked out odd, odd tracks. They seem to have taken a stiff uh, change in direction. It happened because I was listening to the album and it finished and Spotify just played a random track. I was in the car with Laura. I said, like, I think I said, who's this? It sounds like, it sounds like an Arctic Monkeys track that I've not heard. Mm-hmm. And um, then looked it up and I was like, oh, it's Mini Mansions, right, fair enough. Who so, have been guesting on a song, by the way? Do they? Yeah, I haven't listened to it. <laughs> I looked it up. Maybe so it Alex, what's his face from Arctic Monkeys is Turner. Alex Turner. Yeah, guess on one tune. And incidentally, I think, the guy sounds a bit like him at times as well, which puts me off because I don't... Well, he 100%, 100% did on the song that I listened to because I well, thought it was Alex Turner. <laughs> it might have been it may have been him because he did guest on one song by them. So. I, I actually only... quite like the song and it was super like disco pop. Like it was completely different and actually not really something that's necessarily within my wheelhouse, but I actually quite liked it. Yeah, dead, dead poppy, really, really commercial sort of disco feel and, I, mean, I can uh, only presume yeah, I liked had, it <laughs> they've had more success with this change of sound because even from their next album they'd moved away from this kind of 60s-esque quite sharply which I think is a shame I, I think that this is a sound that could be kind of edited into something really good agreed I think if they freshened up the instrumentation a bit got some like orchestration on the go not necessarily an orchestra, but just mix up the instrumentation. Mm. I mean, there is some orchestration. There's quite a lot of strings on this album. I think the strings are generally pretty Didn't boring. That at all. Yeah, they're, just, I, they're just vamping, aren't they, really, I think. But... Yeah, particularly in the like heavier instrumental bits, I think there's quite often a... A, is it like just a like a, a synth pad? I didn't know it's an Oh, yeah, quite, could well be strings. a synth pad. I mean, it, it doesn't make any difference because they're not playing anything of any interest. It's just adding a bit of texture. Yeah, it could well have been a synth pad as opposed to a real thing. But yeah, just I feel like it's it's almost like the proof of concept. I think yeah. if, I think they could have had a really great second album in this style, but they they appear to have abandoned it. It is a shame. I would have liked them to go a tad more proggy as well. I like it when they sort of diverge within the songs. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And um, I think it's the bassist from Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, is it? Apparently. Yeah. And I think Josh Hom or Hommy, whatever his name is, produced some of the songs as well. Right. But I quite liked some of the bass. I know Andy was saying he felt it was a bit bass heavy. No, I think to make that clear as well, I didn't dislike the bass. And I actually liked that it was quite bass heavy when the bass was doing something interesting. Mm. It's just that I think like, I mean, bass heavy as in the sound as opposed to the instrument. So when the yeah yeah no I'm with the ba- you, yeah. when the bass the instrument was doing some like there were yeah. quite there were occasionally like some quite interesting bass lines and because I it was so they, sat, yeah, sat was high some... in the mix that was quite interesting because that came through it was when the bass was like a pedal piano note mm-hmm. that I thought was yeah. like why am I hearing this like this is just texture that you just I... want to sit back in the mix I enjoyed and maybe Will could say more about it being a a bassist but I kind of enjoyed that the bass to me seemed primarily melodic rather than rhythmic I think when when it's at its most notable definitely like I think there are some really cool runs in there um and it it, yeah when it does take front and center I think it can occasionally be like the driving force of a song I think sometimes it does kind of revert back to a bit of um sort of root noting on occasion but yeah, no, I think on the whole, I think the bass is, is fairly interesting throughout this album. To say Josh Hom have worked with them on future albums. I think he produced three songs on, this on album. that album, Mini Mansions. Uh, I don't know whether he did anything on future ones. I think he's produced he's done two Arctic Monkeys, two Arctic well, Monkeys he? albums. Yeah, there you go. I, think all... I think he's worked with them quite a lot, so mm-hmm. maybe that's There's the connective that, tissue. Where that connection yeah. is. I'm not it a, a sne- Stone Age fan, but I think he's... Uh, I think he's actually produced quite a lot of albums that I like. So maybe as a producer, he's... Uh... Yeah, no, fair enough. And I mean, this album now is, uh, what, 11 years old. Mm, so yeah. Maybe he's become a much better producer in that time. <laughs> I think he just did three, three to five, apparently. I think for the most part, it's self-produced. So mm. whatever we're complaining about in terms of the production and the sound is evidently what exactly what they wanted, because... I mean, I mean, if if it's self if it's self produced, it could also be what they're capable of. Well, yeah, like, indeed. If I was yeah. self producing something, then it would be considerably yeah. worse. <laughs> but ultimately, this is this is the product, isn't it? I think we have to criticise it on what it what it is rather than what it could or should have been. Yeah, I think as we talked about it, though, I'm, yeah, it's a sneaky little album. <laughs> Sneaking up on you. Yeah. Well, agreed. Right. Like it's a grower. I've added it to my master playlist because I think I will really enjoy these songs. Like sporadically when they come mm. up on a shuffle i think i'll enjoy listening to one song and then moving on to something else for a bit yeah so it, i took i took away that kind of dark carnival vibe rather than that 60s like psychedelic rock yeah rather than the kind of psychedelic vibe it does have a bit maybe psychedelic rock but yeah maybe psychedelic's not quite a good but i really like that like i say like it's that sort of thing happens on like sergeant pepper all the time and i really like it like I said, I think I, my, it's I, hard to pinpoint why I don't why it why it hasn't quite hate, landed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't hate the album, but I was sort of slightly disappointed that it's so close to what I like and yet it hasn't quite resonated. It just misses the nail a little bit. I just gotta say I think I just think it lacks those those wow moments, those big choruses or those memorable like I actually quite like his choice of melody a lot of the time, but they're mm. not as I say, I mean, ultimately, I can look through the track list, just been doing it and desperately trying to remember the chorus melody. I, I can't do it. But when they're actually on, I enjoy 
enjoy them. I think they're decent enough choruses, but it doesn't have any particular moments, I think, where you're just like, oh, wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah. It's just, that's true. Yeah. But it's, it's also not like a criticism I've leveled at a couple of other things where it's just pleasant. I wouldn't just say it's oh it's just kind of nice and background. I do think it's a little bit more interesting and engaging than that. It does this trick which I quite like, where they'll maybe have three chords which follow kind of what you think is going to happen, and then the fourth one will be slightly different. And same with even the individual melodies. Is it Monk that starts with the uh, single note riff? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and I think the riff just ends on a note which is just like oh that's a cool note choice. There's just really little like, touches like that throughout. I really like, I think that's the thing as well, because I'd heard Monk beforehand because Will had sent it to me. Yeah, I like that song quite a lot. Like I say, like I've got other favourites. If we were picking favourite track and I wasn't naming that, I would go Magic Marker, but Monk is still my favourite mm. favorite track from it. I think I agree with you. Like it kind of goes to little slightly unexpected, interesting places. And I really like the kind of weird falsetto outro of it as well yeah where he like jumps up the octave for the the last broken chorus i feel like it's more of a case of just missed ambitions as opposed to like being actively bad i can see what they're going for and i think in some cases they achieve it and i think in some cases they like miss that mark but like i say i have an appreciation for i think what they were attempting to put together i just think it's an imperfect package in the end yeah. Should we do favourite tracks? I know we've kind of... Yeah, I think we might have given the game away. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Marco. The Room Outside, probably my favourite track on the album. Assuming yeah, you don't say that. I just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that and Kitty Hypno Goggia for me, mm-hmm. I think. And you stick with yeah, Mark? Yeah, The Room Outside I do like. Um, Girls I like. And yeah, Magic Marker actually probably isn't that far behind Monk. It's a cool song. I think it's the biggest one that hits that circus vibe. The whole second half of the song is basically that. Radical. Should we do scores? Yeah. As I said, I think like I think this is a an attempt at something that they just don't quite nail, but there are good bits of the album that I like and, and good chunks of that that I think is is decent. I'm gonna be generous and I'm gonna give it a seven kind of teetering cool. on a six or a seven but i'm gonna i'm gonna gonna be nice go for it andy uh i'm gonna give it a six i decided i was gonna give it a six before and and with listening to will's reasoning i thought i could go for a seven because with the film i went for a higher mark entirely on its kind of intention so i easily could have done that here that i like i appreciate somebody trying to do that but yeah, ultimately, it, it grew from me being quite disappointed in it to something that I kind of liked. But like, I've got a big playlist. I haven't put any of the tracks from it on it. Ouch. Um, <laughs> Monk, sorry, Monk was already on there, and I could add Magic Marker there, but I haven't. And uh, yeah, I think the rest of them are fine. So mm-hmm. uh, six seems about right. Yeah, that's, I was teetering, so I don't think that's. Uh... Like slightly better than average. I don't think that's mad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm right, right, right with you too, basically. And I'd be between a six and a seven as well. I think this time, six, let's remember, six is a positive score. Yeah, it doesn't ever feel like yeah. it, but it actually is saying, yeah, this is this is decent. It's good. 
It's um, better than average. Average yeah, is your five. It, exactly. And I could go, I'd be happy with a seven as well, but six for the time being. I feel like maybe in retrospect with the Edward and I was sold by Will, hit the nine. It's been like, it just keeps me up a couple of minutes every night. <laughs> just, is I it a nine that, out of I, ten? <laughs> I thought that about other reviews that I've given and thought if I compare through the list, I'd yeah. just be like, this is nonsense. That's far too generous and this is not generous enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gave Punch Brothers an eight. That genuinely keeps me yeah, up. I mean, mind. that's that scandalous stuff. No I kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't give it a second thought. <laughs> <laughs> righty. Well, having rounded off the film and the album, it leaves us just the top five list. This time round, the top five lists, uh, <laughs> the top five songs used as TV themes. Top five lists. That'd be a good top five. There's an idea for Great you. Top five. <laughs> top five, top fives. Put that one in the bank. <laughs> right, so today it looks like it's me to begin. And my first choice is going to be Changes, the cover by Charles Bradley and the Budos Band used for Big Mouth. I know, I'm pretty sure Andy's seen Big Mouth. Marco, have you come across it? Nope. I really like Big Mouth and that is on my big playlist. It is so much better than the original song. Oh, I incredibly. Really, I really like the Budos band anyway. Like, I think they're ace for, like, little dark brass things that they've got going on. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, Charles Bradley's so emotive. Vocal <laughs> performance on it is superb, yeah. It's, I thought, not, I, it's not Bowie's I like literature la- changes. It's, uh, is it Ozzy Osbourne? It is, yeah. There's the a version, he did a version more recently with Kelly Osborne as well, didn't he? That I think may have been oh, I know what number you mean one. Or... Yeah, but don't don't let the original uh, skew your judgment. It is, <laughs> yeah. It's a cover that absolutely succeeds in overcoming its original. Every, everything that the song should have been. <laughs> yeah. I was, Plus, I was just... I was shocked at the Bowie slander before. <laughs> I was like, oh, simply... <laughs> I, I, you meant the Bowie song. Just wanted to make it clear it wasn't Ch-Ch-Ch Changes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but also, I yeah, I also really like the series of Big Mouth. It's uh, it's basically an animation, but about kids growing up. And the first season is very much focused on like adolescence and, and sex. But then it starts to branch out into other things and covers sort of depression and bullying and, and th- those sort of aspects. That standard thing that I always like where something sets up to be a stupid comedy and then after and it a bit, you realise, yeah, you realise this has way more depth than it ever has any right to have. I mean, it's also really gross at times. <laughs> oh yeah, the the, the humour in it is revolting most of the time. So that's my number five quality uh, pick theme for Big Mouth. Okay, cool. Well, this list presented me with the opportunity of shoving on some John Barry, so I took it. Never seen the TV show, but it's got a cracking theme. Um, and I would watch the TV show because it looks great. It's called uh, Orson Welles' Great Mysteries. And it's, oh, uh, you know, I've, I've never seen these, but they're like um, sort of Twilight Zone-ish. Yeah, about say like anthology series or whatever, like kind of like the Hitchcock Hour or wherever it yeah. was. But, but with Orson um, Welles' sweet voice introducing stuff. Exactly. Yeah, I'm game for that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just a, a cracking little spy theme, I suppose. 
he did a few TV themes back in the 60s, John Barry, and they're all pretty much identical. (laughs) Well, when you hit on a theme. Yeah. He always has these little dulcimer melodies. I think it's a dulcimer. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's that instantly recognizable sound. It's pretty much the sound that was used in our little theme for the podcast, that, that lead instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's just that basically, but it's it's a jokes little melody, and it's got it's quite it's got a bit of levity to it. It almost seems like a parody, but it's, it's it is also pretty damn cool. And I love John Barry, obviously. Yeah, I mean so, Barry's always a good way to go. He's got to be up there with the with the greats, any of all time. Yeah, indeed. And I, I will just quickly mention there's going to be several cheats for me. There's, <laughs> okay, there's another one he did uh, called Vendetta which has an awesome cover by Phantomus on the director's cut, which I would recommend checking out. But the original is cool as well. All righty. Cool. Um, so my number five, I'm going to go with the theme from The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I have seen and didn't really get into that much. I wanted to, as standard, I've decided to put a bit of variety in my list because I could have just picked things by bands that I like. But it's a it's a theme by the Gregory Brothers or Shmo Yoho. I'm aware. Um, <laughs> as, their, as their YouTube channel is called. I haven't actually watched their videos for a bit, but oh, for ages. No, I was a bit obsessed by them for a little while. I like the idea that they've done a mainstream theme. And it's definitely taken a theme song on a little different tangent that I like as well. Like their first videos, they became famous for became famous not true um they got popularity from doing a like songify the news where they basically auto-tune news readers and current events and people in parliament and things like that and uh, that's essentially what the theme is it's an auto-tuned version of like, an interview that's pretty excellent and yeah it's like it's super interesting without necessarily being musically inspiring but yeah, like I say, I wanted to get a bit of variety in there and they deserve a shout out for that. I think it's the most unique theme that I could have picked. Yeah, no, I think it's a good Unlike choice anything that else. Basis. Definitely. It definitely fits the kind of, like it's a bit of an off-kilter TV show as well. So I think it fits the, uh, fits the ethos of the show very well. Yeah, I never came around to watching it, so I've not heard the theme tune, but I might, I might crack an episode on just for the, uh, just for the theme tune and then stop. I want to give it another chance. I think it's probably up my street, but I watched a couple of episodes and it didn't. Just didn't quite click. No. Good theme, though. Yeah, good choice. Okay. Uh, My number four, I'm concerned I'm going to start eating up some of your list, I'm afraid, Andy. As I look through these, I think there's maybe two or three of these that could be on your list as well. But Not a problem, mate. I'll wing it. Okay, I don't think this one will be, but my number four is Cups by Lulu and the Lampshades, and it was used for the series Mum. I don't know if you... Oh, that is nice. Yeah. Yeah, It wasn't wasn't on my list, no, but it's a good choice. It's mostly... I mean, I think they kind of got popular as a bit of a YouTube sensation as well, because it's called Cups, because the, the song is just two voices and a rhythm played on stacking and unstacking cups. Like that's the I think of, there was a I think there was a bit of a viral thing with people doing that song. Yeah, so I don't know if Lulu and the Lampshades are the original, but they certainly are the ones who do it for the TV show. 
and mum is a <laughs> a very sweet and quite melancholy drama comedy about a woman who's you pick up the series at the wake of her husband is that yeah. right like her husband's died and you just pick it up right after and it's about sort of her horrible family where she's the only normal one and they all really take her for granted and yet they're all kind of sweet and broken in their own way it's i think you told me to watch it but it's incredibly endearing it's really endearing it is occasionally really funny as well like it's got some it's got some real gut laughs in it so i think i picked this one more for the tv show than the song necessarily but there it is I i think the song I think the song kind of fits quite well. It's, it's a good opener. A, yeah. it's, a, it's a good opener to a TV show. It's really catchy. It's really like yeah. upbeat. But I really loved Mum. I just think it was a really, really good show. Me too, yeah. I think it's kind of the opening is quite sweet, if that makes sense. Like, it's a very I think it sweet fits. show. Like It's very well-meaning. Yeah. And even the characters who are dickheads sometimes, like they often have a moment of redemption where they show they're not, they're not awful people. Yeah. There it is. Cups, Lulu and the Lampshades, numero forzo. You guys are going to have to put together a little Spotify playlist for me because I don't know any of these. And I'd be quite interested in listening to them, but there's too much to keep track of. So, yeah, (laughs) whack whack them on the Spotify list for me, please. Number four, I'm going nostalgia pick, going for the old animated cartoon. Now, the one I'm going for is Thundercats because it's great. And I loved Thundercats when I was a kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I listened back to it on YouTube earlier, and to be fair, it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> Particularly when in the middle, there's just a load of fret wankery guitar at the end of each um, line, which is great. And obviously, I don't know if it's the greatest song in the world. If it was like divorced from Thundercats, I probably wouldn't be bothered by it at all. But it's not. So I grew up on it, and it was a fun little song. Damn straight. Could have gone for could have gone for loads. There's loads of good little animated ones. And I don't know if you guys will have them, but, you know, Raccoons, mm-hmm. X-Men, Spider-Man. X-Men's great. Yeah. I think Spider-Man had the guitarist from Aerosmith. There you go. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. Thundercats for me. Quality. No, that, that was yeah. absolutely in my, like, wheelhouse of childhood as well. Thundercats, He-Man. Mm-hmm. Total nostalgia pool there. Proper. Good shout. Right, Andy, and... Andy desperately scouring his, uh, his... <laughs> deep in thought. Oh, you realised that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't listen to a word of that. Right, my number four. Okay, uh, so my number four. I'm going to go with the theme from True Detectives by the Handsome Band, which is far from any road. It's up for season. Finally, yeah, that's a season one. Pick. Yeah, so sorry, yeah, season one. Because I think they do change, don't they? They do. Memory serves, yeah. Both the best season and the best theme for me. It did Um, have that grade. I think thematically, it's really like perfect setup as well, the Mm. theme is. Although it kind of references the desert all the time and it's not set in the desert. But aside from... (laughs) But aside aside from the lyrics and where the lyrics are set, I think it really like sets up the show. It's a really open spacious it's like, like southern gothic folk, as well isn't it yeah sets you up in the yeah. deep deep south yeah it's got that i love anything with a bit of almost like gospel vibe as well yeah i can get that I love anything that's 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 got that i think it's a great theme it, 
to the point where I've listened to the band and I haven't heard of them before the theme. Mm-hmm. But I thought I thought the theme was great. Listen to it on Spotify. Listen to some other of their stuff. Is it of a similar qu- similar quality? Yeah, they're, they're cool. Nice. Everything everything sounds like that. So I got bored of it very quickly. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not necessarily saying you should go and check them out. But yeah, quality wise, it's not like they have one standout sound song. They just have one sound, which is that. But yeah, I think it's a really really good theme and really like, super appropriate for the show as well. I know, but I I like how uh, I enjoy how you always enjoy gospel, and and mention about it. I feel like if um, if the Affleck brothers remade Sister Act as like <laughs> Brothers Act, oh, oh, no, Sister right, Act just... three, Ben in the habit. <laughs> it's got to be me. <laughs> it will not shock you to know that I do like Sister Act one and two, both good shows. Absolutely, but in fairness, like. Is the reason I really like Paul Simon is that like he fucking loves a bit of gospel, always throwing in like gospel influences. Yeah, and I know there's something great about it. There's like it's it's the best architecture is a good thing that came out of religion, but I'd say the best thing is probably the songs, although sometimes the lyrics are a bit dodgy. <laughs> but specifically gospel, I'm not sure I like all religious songs. I quite I like a lot of hymns as well. Hymns Some are fine. Little, it's uh... when you start getting into like um, Christian rock that I <laughs> start to Okay, have a maybe less. <laughs> <laughs> for my number three, I am going to go for Flagpole Sitter by Harvey Danger. There was the theme used for Peep Show. Yeah, it's on my it's on my list. On your long list. On my long so list. Yeah. That's series two onwards, right? Yeah, I think one so. Has a different theme. Yes, yes, you know, you're right. I can't hear that song without it's such an immediate thing as well. It's just like, huh, peep show. Yeah. I think I had heard it just beforehand in my days when I was watching a lot of Kerrang and such. And I think it might have featured on there. But you're absolutely right. Like it's so synonymous with peep show that just that like opening little riff or a rising riff, I'd just I'm straight on Peep Show. Again, I think it's a really great show and that definitely like drew me to it. But I actually think it's a pretty good song. I think it stands out on its own as a as a pretty listenable tune outside of the show. It's into my like my indie sensibilities. Mm-hmm. It easily could have taken a place in my list apart from the fact that I've got a song that I prefer that is very similar gotcha. to it. So I picked the other one. Fair, fair. Yeah, I've not got a lot more to say about that one. I just think it's a good tune attached to a good show. So I'm going to pass the book. Okay. Another tie, uh, number three for me, which is a uh, very obvious ones, X-Files and Twin Peaks. Okay. I do think they sit in a, in a similar vein, TV show. I think too. so. Which one are you picking? I'm, I'm not. <laughs> Andy's the taskmaster. Yeah, I also play don't like, the t- I really love Twin Peaks, but I don't really like the theme. What? There's madness. I I find it hilarious as well because if you're watching watching through it, it's pretty much two minutes long every single time, and it forces you to like listen to the entire shoot, which I do. Yeah, it's too long. It's uh, it's really twee. Um. (laughs) You get that with a lot of anime. Every episode will start and end with a full two and a half minute song. Ah, fucker! I've just thought of a better choice. You've got more choices to go yet. Yeah, I can't drop anything for it. 
derailed. No, I don't really have much to say about either of them, to be honest. Would you say these are are these picks more inclined with the shows, or is it with the the music specifically? It's impossible not to somewhat tie it into the show, to be honest. Of course, Um, like that's why that's what the category is in it. But some I've picked on my like just love of the show, (laughs) and some I've picked more on the. Well, I what I would say is I think both were iconic and both fit the show entirely, regardless of Andy thinking it's a bit twee. I mean, I cannot imagine Twin Peaks without that that music in it. I just think it um, it, it fits the part of the show that I like the least. Like it's a theme that fits an American soap opera. Those are the bits of the the American soap opera bits of Twin Peaks are the things that I like the least about it. I prefer when David Lynch really gets his uh, gets his grips on it. Yeah, I, I can't think of any other soap that has a theme tune like Twin Peaks. Crossroads. It's not American, but I think it's fairly similar. <laughs> yeah. I don't Fair know enough. The theme, I mean, I'm glad that you're backing me up, but I have no idea what the theme for Crossroads is. I'm not entirely backing your premise. I just, <laughs> just, I just know what the theme for Crossroads is, apparently. So my number three is uh, Suicide is Painless, the theme from MASH. Oh, yeah. By Johnny Mandel. It's been covered numerous times. I think that might be a cover as well. I'm not sure that's the original. but Right. I know the song much more than the show. Like, I'm familiar with MASH through a kind of cultural osmosis. But I've actually not watched a lot of MASH. <laughs> but the song's a beaut. Yeah, I grew up watching... I probably watched every episode because I've watched it with my dad when I was younger. It was one of his favourite shows. It is good as well. Like it does, like any old series, it has its peaks and troughs. But Yeah, um, broadly holds up to a modern lens. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it kind of, I think it was a bit ahead of its time as well. Tackling subjects around war that weren't probably because it, it was written around the time of the vietnam war but kind of sidestepped that by setting it in a different war but kind but it, of the idea that people didn't actually want to be there fighting for their country and were desperate to get home and that actually war is pretty atrocious and <laughs> but then at the end of the day they had a job to do and so you you go out and you save lives and do the best that you can and i think that the theme is just just so beautifully fitting for it like, yeah, I just gotta say you can get it from the title. Suicide is painless. It's uh, it's uh, I mean it 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 avoids that patriotism. I think as you say, like it's not about GIs going and shooting foreigners in the face, and it has that very famous ending. Is it the ending to the TV show? I don't know where the film fits in. Whether that was a precursor or a or a bookend or somewhere in the middle. The film came first. The film's good as well. They basically made a series that was sort of thematically the same. And the settings are the same. The characters are the same. But it's not um, the same or a continuation of the story. But no, it's unrelated. Like gotcha. they kind of, they just use the same jumping off point and go off on a completely yeah. different story. I think there is one person who's in the film and is continues to be the character in the series. But but no, the film film came first. But yeah, it has that. It has the ending that um, sort of shows a complete mental breakdown of a of one of the characters to the point that they suffocate a child. My understanding is that, that one of the men's with 
I think it's supposed to be like a chicken making noise on a bus and one of the characters like suffocates it and then when it pans out oh, it's a Christ it, alive I do remember that it's a child and it's a he's child just crying he's like just hallucinating and he's just completely broken and lost his mind and uh, an incredibly grim finish to a comedy yeah but yeah, yeah everybody get... everybody on the bus is going to die because the child crying is giving them away essentially yeah the the series is in parts like heartbreaking it is really well made I say it has like peaks and troughs. I think it gets to the point where it maybe loses some of the comedy and gets it almost loses its poignancy a little bit because it kind of overplays that hand a bit. Gets a bit too dour. Like leans on it a bit heavily, but we mentioned it earlier, I think in reference to Big Mouth, like it's a comedy show that achieves much more in, in what it's trying to say than sort of a, a sitcom should. Yeah. But it, it, it nails it. Pulling it back to the theme, though, like the theme, I think some of these I picked just because I like the song and some of them I picked because they perfectly set up the series. And I think that MASH is one where the the theme is incredibly like simplistic and like it's a very sort of simple pop rock folk song that yeah just really sets up the vibe of the series really nicely. So, cool yeah, beans. That's my, that's my number three. Okay, on to my number two. So my number two is Tea for the Tillerman by Yusuf slash Cat Stevens, which was used as theme tune for extras. I think it might be one of my favourite songs of all time. It's a really beautiful, I mean, that that whole album, to be honest, is an incredible album with my father and son on it. This is a case, though, of where I think the TV show and the song just exist equally in their like quality, separate from, from being a tv theme it's a great song and it's a really great tv show oh i think it might also be my favorite tv show of all time it's a really killer show it's just a really good combination of yeah song and show do you know what always makes me laugh about the end of that song literally the last two notes of the song are sung by what sounds like a full choir and there's no other choir on the rest of the album, like <laughs> T for the Tillerman, which always makes me think that he's, he must have got a choir in to record that. And it's like, right, you're done. Go home. Cheers, guys. That's Go a wrap. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> <laughs> Cracking. But yeah, Marco. great choice. Great choice. Thank you, sir. Marco, you're number two. It's interesting because we've got, again, very different approaches to this. I think all of yours so far, basically songs that have been repurposed to be used as a TV theme. Where I think mine are all written as the TV theme as an original piece. Sure. If it helps, my next one isn't. I mean, it doesn't matter. It just struck me. You are right. That is the approach I I took. Yeah, which I think is fine. I I wouldn't have been able to do that list, I don't think, because they just don't stick in my mind. Number two for me is Red Dwarf. Nice. Could have been number one quite easily. I mean, what a fantastic theme tune. I love the fact that it starts with the um, sort of lone trumpet in yeah. space. And it's it's kind of serious, really. It's almost 2001 or something. Or Alien. It's, it's far more traditional. And then it just kicks in. Shitload of fun. Proper energetic. Great lyrics. Great melody. It's bloody Red Dwarf, man. I mean, who the hell doesn't love Red Dwarf? <laughs> And if so, piss off. 
<laughs> you're right. It didn't it didn't really come across my radar, but I mean, you're right. It's a great theme tune, and uh, yeah, it's just combining the two facets of the show, isn't it? It's on on one hand, a sci-fi with some actual cool sci-fi ideas and mm-hmm. quite interesting premises, but obviously, it's just a ultimately it's a comedy. A crew of morons. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I still don't really know what the lyrics are on about, but they're they're super fun. <laughs> yeah, good choice. And Dino, you ready for your number two? Yeah, well, you've picked some things off my list, so Hells yeah, I've, uh, I've had to do this a bit on the fly. But <laughs> um, but number two, I'm going to go with. I don't think it has a name, and it's the reason I wasn't going to include it is because it's it's pushing the premise of your it needs to be song like a song as opposed to a theme, but I'm going to go with the theme from Dinner Ladies. Oh, lovely stuff. By Victoria Wood. And I've heard a full version of the song, even though it doesn't happen. I think within the series, there is a version of it where it has lyrics. Mm -hmm. And I've heard her play it in an interview where she plays a full version of the song with lyrics. So it does exist. It does exist as a song. <laughs> yeah, even was if... Was this uh, a rule? I, I didn't think that was a thing anyway, was it? Well, Will said it needed to be a song, not just a theme. It was like, the initial premise, I said, but I'll right. be honest with you, I don't care now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, like, so, like, you can't pick EastEnders. Well, I think virtually none of mine, well, at least half, haven't had songs. <laughs> But yeah, it's written and sung by Victoria Wood, who wrote and starred in Dinner Ladies, and it is super endearing, obviously because it's written for it. Like, talk about something like fitting the theme of the series. Like, yeah. It absolutely nails it. It's uh, it's super endearing. It's a really simple little piano-led song about the kind of mundane, repetitive nature of kind of work in life yeah <laughs> it's uh it's it's really it's really sweet and charming and i can't imagine anyone else like i'm not saying victoria wood is necessarily a great singer but i can't imagine anyone else singing it i think didn't like this is great like massively underrated no one ever mentions it in sort of top uk comedy lists and you're right it does seem just, a bit lost to time i think it's just a perfect little show it's yeah. so so nicely written. It's just it's just perfect, and yeah, the theme is a is a perfect little little analogy for the series. I think wonderful, excellent choice, there, buddy. Let's move on to my number one. Cranky. My number one is Little Boxes from Weeds, and it's by Various because I think this I... show made the very cool decision to just have different people cover the song. Was it for every episode? No, they had, I think the first series or maybe the first two series had the main theme, which is Malvina Reynolds. Good research. Which I only know. Yeah, which I don't know because I wrote it down because it would have been my number two pick. But <laughs> uh, then they went just to cover versions, which are all over the place. Like some of them are utterly superb and some of them are terrible. Yes, but I right. really, really appreciate the... Uh, the thousands of covers that were spawned by like future series. I think that's it. I think it's the like the ambition in it that I really like. The the decision to just go all out, really like commit to this. 
huge decision. I think the song itself is is a nice, super nice little song. I think it has yeah, quite really, quite old really origins. Like yeah, and I guess sort of applies to the story a bit because it's a, the story of somebody selling loads of weed, but in rich suburbia. So talking about sort of little boxes on the hillside, representing the the Californian high end estate that they live in. It's that kind of unique housing, isn't it? The pop-up rich. Yeah. The suburban identikit housing where everyone has identikit little lives. That's what the kind of the narrative of the story is based out of. Because of circumstances, she's had to do something both illegal and outside of her cultural upbringing to kind yeah. of survive amongst the kind of identikit lives of everybody else around her. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think this one I say got my number one because of the near endless covers. I must admit I didn't hear them all because it's a show that as good as it started just trailed off for me rather than making the executive decision to end. They just kept going. <laughs> so I just stopped watching after a bit. Both the story gets ridiculously far fetched. Mm-hmm. Like they uproot where they are and move somewhere else, become involved with the fucking president of Mexico or whoever it is. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's really good for a bit. Mm. For a short period of time, it's really good. But that short period, maybe the first like three seasons, three or four, Mm. maybe more than that. I can't remember how far we got into it, but... Yeah, maybe four. Never mind. Great theme though. (laughs) So Marco, I think it's time for your number one. Again, it's a complete opposite approach here. I will say like, I'm not criticising yours two picks. I think they're... They're very interesting, but I also think they they don't strike me as the kind of thing that if you looked up TV themes, I don't I don't mean they've necessarily put a dent in popular culture or whatever. I think that's fair. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, which is fine, but they're they're interesting personal picks, and I'm sure the songs are great. I don't know most of them, unfortunately. Depends what you're picking on, though, because like I I looked at my list and I easily could have picked five songs just by artists that I like. I don't. Relate that to a TV theme, though. That that's not what I think of as a TV theme. Like I know theme song. You know what is a song? Uh, you know, is it literally someone singing? Is it music? Like to me, it's just a TV theme. Like a theme song could be instrumental, could be vocal, but inherently it has to be connected to a TV show. I think that's the crucial point, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, I totally to me, agree with that. You could have like Match of the Day or Grandstand or something. I would I would say that's that's fine. Otherwise, it just becomes a. I wouldn't even know where to start, how to sort. But you've you've obviously both gone with the same line, which is which is fine. I just couldn't have made that list even if I tried. I don't think. Fair play. Uh, so my number one, anyway, it's a massive cheat, but if I have to narrow it down to one, I will. So I've just gone for effectively the partnership between uh, Jerry Anderson and the composer uh, Barry Gray who did Thunderbirds, Stingray, Captain Scarlet, Joe Knight E, and Space 1999. If I had to pick one, it's tight between Stingray and Thunderbirds, but I'm going Thunderbirds because it's fucking awesome. I mean, correct they, as well. Like They're the best two <laughs> themes. <laughs> it's, uh, they're just great, energetic, joyous themes that get you absolutely pumped. And I, t- I just think they're like fantastic melodies. I liked them as a kid. I haven't watched them for a long time sadly and I'm, I'm kind of wanting to go back and check them out I sort of stumbled across Thunderbirds and just listened to it I was like this is 
fucking great. <laughs> like, it's such a good theme. It's just fantastic music. I, I don't really know what else to say. I mean, I agree with you. I think the quality of production on those Jerry Anderson shows it is just incredible. Despite the fact that they were, they came out probably nearly 30 years before I was born. Like they had a kind of revival in the 90s when they're on TV a lot. Yeah. And as you say, Thunderbirds, Stingray, Joe 90, Captain Scarlet. Like I was all over them. I really, really loved them. It's got to be because of the great theme. Yeah, they, they really hold up and they just capture imagination. It doesn't matter when you're a child, does it? You, know, you don't care if it's like dated or whatever. It's, but yeah, I would encourage anyone to just go and listen to the theme from Thunderbirds. Again, it's iconic, and I just think it's a great fucking. You know, it could easily it could easily been a, a John Williams at his peak. To be honest, mm-hmm. it's got that level of quality to me. Yeah, but yeah, oh, superb. Yeah, good pick. So comes down to this. Comes to this. Has has the one changed, or is this the? Uh, no, my one. The original um, pick. This is number one for me because it was the first thing that I thought of when Will shouted it out because it's kind of synonymous for me with the TV program. No, my number one is from Teachers, uh, which is The Boy with the Arab Strap by Bell and Sebastian. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, I'd, I'd um, forgotten the show, <laughs> if I'm honest with you, but that's a great Actually, choice. I re-watched some of the show recently, but I swear when I listen to that album, which I do semi-regularly because I really like it, I really like Bell and Sebastian, just generally. Mm-hmm. Like I think the Life, yeah, me too. Life Pursuit is a superb album. And yeah, Boy With The Arab Strap is a close second for me in terms of their albums. And it's a really good song. And I think the music throughout the show, like it's kind of, that's the theme, obviously. But the rest of the music throughout the show is a great very, soundtrack, hasn't it? very, very similar. Like it's all that kind of late nineties, early noughties indie it's just picking the best bits out of that that little genre, and so yeah, every time I hear that, I think of the show. Like I can't I can't separate them. I considered other things. The Malcolm in the Middle theme is "They Might Be Giants." Great. See, theme. that came on my list, but the only version I could find of it was a like one minute three version. Right, I didn't didn't look it up. Bare Naked Ladies did the Big Bang Theory theme. They um, did. I'm not, not a massive fan of the show, to be honest, and it's not my favourite song by them, but the the full version of that song is much better than the theme version. I'm kind of with you on the, on the my opinion of the show, but you can't say it doesn't fit the theme. No. <laughs> it, it works in that regard. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I could have easily picked, like, just things by my favourite bands, but the one that is most kind of synonymous with the TV show for me is easily the Bell and Sebastian one. Plus, I think Teachers, again, actually, no. I was going to say Teachers is underrated. The problem is, is underrated. Well, yeah, but it's really, the first season is really, really good. The second season um, is good. Is it after two seasons that Andrew Lincoln leaves? Yeah. Well, the time that he's in it, yeah, I love that series, but when he's not yeah, in it, I it's, do. Uh, it's, it's it great. really, really suffers for it. Did you have any other um, honourable mentions? Guessing you've gone through yours, Andy. But... I've got a couple of very, very quick ones. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I think one of you two told me to watch uh, Lovecraft County. Was it one of you two? Country, not county. Nope. Nope. Oh, I can't see where else I would have got it from. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've not heard of it before. 
it was all right. It didn't like wow me. I kind of like the idea of lots of like singular Lovecraft esque stories. Mm-hmm. The theme from that is um, Cinnamon, which is probably my favorite song by Nina Simone, but it's a cover. And the cover's pretty good, but not quite as good. Yeah. As, that can uh, be a detractor. Yeah, I mean, it's not an original Nina Simone song either, but... But hers is the version. Her cover is, yeah, her cover is the best version. So that was in consideration. I wanted to include Toast of London theme, Take My Hand by Matt Berry, because of Matt Berry reference last week, but I couldn't force it in there. The Cheers theme is really good. Stanford and Son theme's really good. And lastly, I watch quite a lot of cricket. There's the, like, TMS theme, which is fine. But I always associate like Mambo Number Five because whenever cricket's on Channel Five, they always play that. <laughs> I just I just associate it with cricket whenever I hear it now. That's superb. That's all my that's all my honourables. Do you have anything left unsaid, Marco? I mean, there's, there's a ton I could mention. I'll just reel off a few. Uh, Carnival, mm. the HBO show, which is hugely underrated. Uh, virtually every Star Trek thing. Yeah. Come on. Doctor Who, obviously. Hawaii 5 yeah. cracking yeah. the theme. Yeah. And then virtually any 60s slash 70s espionage show, i.e. The Avengers, The Prisoner. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all they're all great. Prisoners or gold. The theme, yeah, good shout. I had just a handful more. Small World by Roddy Frame which a small excerpt for was used for Early Doors. I think Andy might be more familiar with. I like the show and plain don't remember what, what the theme is. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll know it when you hear it, but there's a reason it didn't make it to the top five. <laughs> it was on the shortlist. Superman, Laszlo Bain from Scrubs. Yeah. Bit, bit of a nostalgia dip for me. Again, it, the song itself isn't really strong enough. but um... And the music in Scrubs is generally very good. And one that I, I didn't feel quite right putting it in my list, but I think it's pretty cool, is Songs of Love by The Divine Comedy. Part of that is used for Father Ted. But the reason I didn't feel quite right picking it is because it was written, he was commissioned to write the theme tune for Father Ted, and they dismissed his first one and then used an excerpt of a different song. Right. So it just didn't, I don't know why, it just didn't quite feel like it fit the theme. That was my entire list. Once I got to about 11, I thought that'll do. And the, the one that I thought of, that I wanted to shout out. Yeah. Is um the theme from One Punch Man. Absolutely. I uh I feel disappointed that I didn't think of when I was writing my list because that might have made it in there, but it's like tons though, isn't there? I mean, like I, I still don't understand like the 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 criteria you guys were using, to be honest. But well, Will just said he well, wanted them to be songs, like songs in their own right right so it should have been like top five songs that were used as tv themes that's exactly what it was (laughs) okay Um, i just thought it was top five tv theme songs hey i still (laughs) dig it i still the way you the way you the way you phrase it is is and to to honest, I think I think that is word for word how Will phrased it. <laughs> I did I did seek clarification. Like, 
I, to be honest, I, I also liked your list. So yeah, that was no, it. I dug no your list, so, uh, so it's water under w- the bridge. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to do the songs when I don't. I don't watch a lot of TV. Yeah, they they wouldn't have been things I was passionate about remotely. Now, fair dues. Like so, better to have a list that you care about, I think, than uh, just five yeah. things you've picked arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that is all from us at Screen and Needle. Next week's choices are coming from Mark. Do you want to tell us what your choices are, buddy? Sure. So we will watch Under the Silver Lake, the 2018 film. Uh, The album will be Stereo Lab, Margarine Eclipse. And the top five will be top five black and white films. Very good. So join us all next week while we'll talk about those and uh, have another cheeky pint. Bye for now.